This Endo Life episode 64. I'm Jessica Duffin, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. This episode is sponsored by my friends at BU. It can be really hard to find a CBD brand to trust. So many have vague information or charge over £100 for a tiny bottle or tub, and you don't really know if it's worth it. The descriptions are vague. So that's why I was so happy that BU brought out a CBD range, which includes drops, sprays, and a balm. This CBD has been developed by scientists to bring you the best quality, pure CBD made with organic oils, flavours and natural CBD. To shop the range, just head to the link in my show notes and start soothing period cramps the natural way. This episode is also sponsored by my free endometriosis symptom tracker. If you feel like you're in pain all the time or you're tired all the time and you just can't tell what's making your endo better or worse, which is what I'm currently dealing with with my interstitial cystitis, I can never say that word, then this tracker could help you begin to understand subtle patterns in your endometriosis symptoms. By using this tracker every day, charting your mood, pain, brain fog and other symptoms and noting down what you eat, your stress levels and lifestyle habits, you'll begin to understand the crucial relationship between your body, your life and endometriosis. Understanding this is key to making changes that actually work and have a positive effect. As always, this guide doesn't replace your medical treatment and it's not intended to treat or cure endometriosis, but it provides you with a tool that I use personally to help me live well with endometriosis and work out what was helping me and wasn't helping me. To download, just head to the show notes and follow the link to get your free copy. So it's one week until my book comes out, This Endo Life, It Starts With Breakfast. Um, So yeah, just want to kind of give a shout out to that. Um, It's available to my newsletter subscribers on Monday the 18th, um, and that will be for a special price. Um, and for everyone else, it will be available, um, on my website and on Amazon from Wednesday, the 20th, as long as Amazon behaves itself, unless Amazon decides to release it early or release it late, we'll see, but either way it will be available on my website on the Wednesday. So yeah, I'll let you know more info about that next week. Um, so today's guest, I am just so excited about and, I feel like, yeah, there's been some really pinch me moments um, and this was definitely one of them. In fact, I was so excited and nervous about this that I kept stumbling over my words. I knew like science, like I've studied so much stuff, but I like tripped up over what I was trying to explain. Like I forgot words. (laughs) It was so embarrassing. I actually sent Nicole an apology afterwards to say, like, I'm so sorry. Like, I was genuinely just nervous. Um, Hopefully you guys don't hear it, but maybe you will. Um, But anyway, today's guest, because I haven't even introduced her yet, um, is Nicole Jardim. So Nicole Jardim is 
the, well, she's also known as a period girl and she's the hormone expert behind the Fix Your Period programs and the Period Party podcast. And if you're not listening to that, then I totally recommend it. It's brilliant. Um, And today we are talking about essentially the 101 on hormone imbalance and how it relates to endometriosis. We've talked a lot about hormone imbalance but I don't really feel like we've really deep dived into what it actually is and how it happens and what it means for your body so this is like a real deep dive into the science of it all so if you've ever felt like your hormones are imbalanced when it comes to living with endo maybe you've noticed like some estrogen dominant symptoms or excess estrogen or you've heard about it and you're wondering what that means and if you've got it or you find yourself experiencing like PMS, mood swings, depression, insomnia, acne, fatigue, all the things. Um, This could be down to hormonal imbalance. And we're often led to believe that these are simply part and parcel of life with endometriosis. Or we're like, hmm, I know it's not a direct symptom of endo, but it must be something to do with it because it's to do with my periods or, you know, my health just doesn't feel great. Many of these things are largely down to a hormonal imbalance and they can actually be reduced if not entirely eliminated um so of course we can't you know we're not at that point where we can cure endometriosis but you don't have to struggle with like feeling so fatigued or just so frankly like rubbish all the time so in fact actually as a result of balancing my hormones my energy is so much more stable And, you know, I don't feel fatigued like I used to and my sleep is seriously improving. Um, So that's why I was just so excited to dive into this subject with Nicole. So I freaking love Nicole's work. um, And I've actually done her Fix Your Blood Sugar Protocol and that was such a game changer for me. And it was really... I just found it so accessible and easy to implement. And I think that's what is so unique about Nicole is that she doesn't, she doesn't make people feel, um, I don't know. I feel like sometimes period experts are great, but they use language that is just, it's so scientific that it's just not accessible, uh, to people. And it, makes them feel more overwhelmed but I think Nicole delivers all of this information in such a easy to understand way and yeah I just I just think she's brilliant um so Nicole's fix your period programs help people with periods to get to the root cause of hormonal issues and instead of masking the symptoms she actually empowers people to heal balance and restore hormonal harmony In this episode, Nicole breaks down what hormonal imbalance actually means because I think it's a word that gets thrown around a lot and we don't always know, yeah, we don't know what it actually looks like in us. So we talk about how it might show up for us when it comes to endo. We talk about the hierarchy of hormones and which ones to address first. There is an order. Um, And we dive into estrogen estrogen dominance and estrogen excess and how these play a role in endo. We also talk about Nicole's new book, Fix Your Period, which I can't wait to read. Um, so yeah, have a listen out for that and the links to the book and her um, her programs are in the show notes. So this one is jam-packed full of science and I really hope that you enjoy how kind of like sciencey we get in this episode because I don't think 
I don't, I think this is probably like the most hardcore that we've gone on the science, but I, I think it's done in an accessible way because I think in the past I've kind of built those foundations. We've talked about a lot of these themes a lot before, and now we're kind of going, going into the science, going in deep. So yeah, I hope you love it. Um, as much as I did, um, Nicole is wonderful. So yeah, enjoy. Um, so I always begin these podcasts with, um, hearing more about the guests experiences. Usually it's with endometriosis. Um, and I know that you went through your own health issues that inspired like your journey into women's health. So I wondered if you would be happy to kind of share, share your experience with us. Yes, I would love to. So first of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm so thrilled to be here and sharing this information because as we were talking about before, I really want women to have an understanding of what's going on in their bodies so that they can make educated and informed decisions about their health and their health care. And for me, all of this started when I was a teenager. I obviously, it usually does, puberty and all. <laughs> but I, you know, I was around 14 or 15 when I started to notice that, you know, my periods were increasingly becoming heavier and heavier and more and more painful. And, you know, before I, you know, when I turned, I think I got my period when I was 12 and I never had any of these issues at first. And then, like I said, over the years, it got progressively worse. And I, I, I used to say to my mom that, you know, I couldn't go to school because it was so painful, things like that. And her response was always, well, you know, I, I went through much worse. So I think oh, you're probably, gosh. you know, this is fine. This is normal. You know, it's just like, it's again, generationally speaking, when, you know, women prior to us didn't know what was normal and what wasn't either. And so they were just using their own experiences as a gauge. Yeah. So for me, that was, you know, my reality for about three or four years. And um, then I started to notice that my period would come every three or four months. And I was like, okay, this might be a blessing in disguise, but I don't totally think it is. <laughs> so <laughs> I finally went to see um, my gynecologist and I, you know, explained everything to her. I was, you know, having these horrible, heavy periods and this period pain that would keep me home from school one or two days a month, you know, every cycle. And, uh, you know, it was so heavy that I felt like I was, you know, leaking through my clothes like, really quickly. <laughs> I didn't know what to do about that. It was like mortifying enough being a teenager. And she, you know, she tells me immediately that she thinks I should just go on the birth control pill and that that will... Um, basically solve all of my problems. And I was thrilled because I thought that, you know, it was going to be my period panacea. <laughs> I was going to finally not have any of these issues anymore that were really hindering my life. And so I went on the pill and lo and behold, all of these amazing things happened. My period lightened up. I stopped having this tremendous period pain that I was experiencing every month, I felt like my moods stabilized. And I felt like my actually even my weight was all over the place as a teenager as well. And I felt like that started to stabilize a little bit too. I mean, these were all very exciting <laughs> developments for someone who was 19. And so for me, 
I, you know, I, I did this for a couple of years and then things started to slowly change. And this is the story I continually hear from women. I mean, some notice an effect immediately. And I'm like, if you notice it immediately, your body is way more tuned in than mine was. <laughs> but, you know, for me, it took a couple of years. And then I started to notice that my hair was a lot thinner. And then I started developing melasma on my face, which is, you know, usually these brown spots that usually women develop when they're pregnant. And then there were other issues as well, like these UTIs and these yeast infections that started to crop up and and then they became really chronic. Um, you know, sex started to hurt. My sex drive just dropped completely. Uh, my gut was a disaster. I was chronically sick. Like I just had colds all the time. And the last straw for me, because this went on for a number of years into my early 20s, and I saw, I was saying this to you before, you know, I saw a lot of different doctors and they didn't really have any answers for me. I mean, these were all seemingly unrelated problems, right? Gut health issues, chronic UTIs, hair loss, and nobody was putting two and two together. When you're that young as well, you do think that it's just all separate. Like I remember not telling people about all my problems because I thought they'd think I was crazy. Yes. Oh my God. I was called a hypochondriac like a million times. Yeah. Yes. By friends, my family. I still wonder that for myself. Right? It's, I mean, yes, I know. I mean, maybe some of us are. That's fine. Fair enough. But I think that that's the problem, right? And yeah. this is what I was saying at We're the beginning is that, that we have to trust that our bodies are telling us something and we have to trust that intuitive voice that's telling us something is wrong. And if we're constantly being gaslighted and told that you're, this is in your head or that you are overreacting or you're a hypochondriac, you start to lose that trust in your body's wisdom. And that's where we go awry. I feel like we run into major problems there. And that's really what happened to me. And so for years, I couldn't figure things out. And then finally, out of complete desperation, I was telling my friend in college one day, we're sitting in class, I'll never forget this. And she was just telling her this whole thing. And she was like, you should really go see my acupuncturist. He is amazing. And I was like, okay, whatever. I have nothing to lose. So I'm going to do that. And so I did. And within that first session, he really broke it down for me. He was, he basically said to me that he felt that the pill was causing a lot of these problems. And that was the first time anybody had ever said anything like that to me. And I thought, okay, maybe. And so I, continued to see him every week for a long time. And I took a a ton of Chinese herbs and I changed my diet. I went to Whole Foods for the first time. It was all very miraculous. And (laughs) eventually I came off the pill and I had a period, I mean, like it wasn't an amazing period, but it was a period where I wasn't absolutely terrified. You know, it was one of those that, you know, I had cramps and it was really heavy and things like that. But I felt like I you know, I had a, a semi-normal period and I thought, okay, well, if I'm having a semi-normal period without the birth control pill, without this crutch, then I feel like, you know, I can, I can maybe get through life and I can do this thing. So I just continued to do work, do the work with him and work on my diet and my lifestyle and all my stress management issues and whatnot. And things really started to improve. And then I was, I was actually working in film production at the time because that's why I studied in school. And that was my big thing. That was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And I, wow, I had no idea. Yeah, that was my thing. It was from the time I was young, I wanted to be in film and TV. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And, um, and so that's what I did. And then it, then I had a major reality check and realized that, 
this was not going to be great for my health because a few years in things really started to change. Period problems came back with a vengeance, you know, like so heavy that changing tampons like every hour, you know, and I was, you know, and I'm on set. And so of course that's very difficult to do when you're running around like a crazy person. And then, you know, they were so painful. It was like the throw up kind of painful that, you know, they just, it was such a huge reality check for me, like I said, because I realized that I just couldn't go on like this. It was for me, I actually had to change my career to get my health back on track. And I've had to recommend that to some women over the years, because that's sometimes what is required, unfortunately. And your body is just going to keep telling you that something's wrong if you don't listen to it. And mine was just getting progressively worse. So I decided to um, you know, I just, first of all, I decided that I, you know, started to get back into the health and wellness thing. I started to prioritize my diet again and my stress management and all of that. And then found the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and decided to study to be a health coach and then went on and did additional training. I got a certification as a women's health coach and did training with Dr. Sarah Gottfried and Chris Kresser and, um, and the women's health coach certification with Jessica Drummond. And that was, you know, really life affirming on so many levels. And I really knew that I needed to do this work to help as many women as I possibly could, again, not go through what I went through, or if they did have a shorter route to being well again, because mine took a very long time. So that's really the gist of it, for the most part. Yeah. And what like, that's such a intense journey to have gone through all of that pain as like a young teenager and work through that and then for it to happen again and and change your career like I really resonate with what you're saying because I had to change my career as well I was in fashion and then I I had to leave um due to like I didn't know I had endometriosis at the time um but I couldn't keep up and I didn't know why but it was like my health was just yeah collapsing so do you do you feel that you like had have endometriosis? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a really good question. And I obviously I've never been diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure that there's something there. I just don't know for sure. And I, you know, when I think back to those years between 14 and 19, I mean, all signs pointed to it. It seemed very clear. And then with massive, a massive lifestyle overhaul, I managed to get all of those symptoms under control. And then when life got crazy again, and I stopped taking care of myself in the way I needed to, the symptoms came back. So I've really, really thought about that for so many years. And I have no interest in going through the laparoscopic (laughs) surgery at this point to determine whether I do, because for the most part, I mean, unless I have like an exceptionally stressful time, which I have because I've been writing this damn book, as you know, (laughs) I feel like, you know, that for the most part, I'm fine. And so, and I think that this shows up differently for different people, right? And it just depends on, you know, how, when you were able to address it or how, how young you were when you started addressing it and what, and what the causes are, like what's going on for you genetically, uh, what's happening with your gut health, all of these different factors. So yes, I would say that there is strong potential that I do. I'm looking forward to some kind of blood test at some point in the future. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully that's that's on its way. I know that we've got some work going on in the UK around that, but I think it's still very far from being a yeah, a concrete like yeah, definitive reliable, yeah, option. <laughs> yes. But fingers crossed soon. Um 
Okay, so you went through the training um, and we both, well, you studied with Jessica Drummond. I'm currently studying. So that's that's nice to hear that we're both uh, we're both awesome. doing the same course. Um, and yes. then, yeah, she's brilliant. I think she's mm-hmm. amazing. Um, so then you started, obviously, the blog and all of your work with helping people with hormonal conditions and period problems um and your courses so I really wanted to dive in to hormones because on the podcast we've talked a lot about natural pain relief management like lifestyle options um and kind of all of the different aspects that we discuss when it comes to like the surface level of endo and you think about like the inflammation like the really obvious issues but I think it hormones aren't that obvious like you know like (laughs) right we we don't actually it took me years to realize like oh my hormones have a part in this like I knew that estrogen could make it worse but I didn't realize to what extent so I think a lot of us hear like the word hormonal imbalance um, mm-hmm. kind of on Instagram or in books or podcasts like mine. Like I've talked about hormonal imbalances, but never to the deep kind of level that I would, you know, I'd like to. So I was wondering if you could take us through like how hormonal imbalance like usually occurs and what do we actually mean when we say hormonal imbalance? Um, and I don't know if if you feel that it's helpful, could you give like a quick lowdown on the hormones that, you know, would have the, I guess, the play the biggest part within this? Yes. Yeah, no, I think that this is such a great question because I agree. I don't love the term hormonal imbalance because it's a little vague, right? It's kind of opaque. And yeah, women don't totally know what it means. And so when we're talking about hormones, generally speaking, I feel like, you know, I feel like there's three things that we should keep in mind when we're just talking about our bodies in general, because I think we've been led to believe that things are very complicated and they're not necessarily. And so I think the first thing is that your body and your menstrual cycle are actually not as complicated as you may have thought it would is, or you may have been told. Um, I know women's bodies are often are portrayed as being these mysterious things that none of us can figure out, but that's actually not true. Pretty straightforward. Um, the second thing is with hormones, these are just chemical messengers. I consider them to be like little mailmen dropping off your mail throughout mm-hmm. your body. I mean, they really are just talking, you know, they're facilitating conversation between each of the glands in your endocrine system, whether that's between your brain and your adrenals, your ovaries, your thyroid, these are all glands in your endocrine system that are dependent on hormones, right? And so they're talking all day long, every day, and they're basically responsible for pretty much everything that happens in your body, hormones, that is. And then I think the third thing to remember is that our menstrual cycles, which are usually sort of our first sign when there's problems with them, that there's a hormonal imbalance, like these, the menstrual cycle is governed by just a few of these key hormones. We've got estrogen, progesterone, testosterone plays a role as well. And, you know, these symptoms that women often experience are probably linked to an imbalance with these, these key hormones. And so I think that for all of us, it's important to also remember that Hormones are not just kicking in when puberty starts or, you know, when we are in menopause or anything like that. It's just in, you know, in addition to all of these menstrual cycle related 
uh, tasks that hormones have, they really play a role in every bodily function, which is why when we do have some kind of hormonal imbalance, we feel pretty terrible physically, emotionally. I mean, it's, it's a system wide problem. Absolutely. And so, yeah, right. I mean, it's really a problem. And, um, what was I going to say again? So basically when we're talking about you know, the menstrual cycle and hormonal imbalance, we have to go back to, you know, the main hormones that cause, like that have a trickle down effect. And so when I think about the menstrual cycle, what we, what I think about is, you know, all of these symptoms that we experience are caused by these, what I call top tier hormones. And so those two are cortisol and insulin. And so those two hormones are, you know, I I refer to cortisol in particular as like the boss lady hormone, because cortisol really just defines what is going to happen throughout our body with the rest of our menstrual cycle. And so when we're thinking about a hormonal imbalance, we have to start from the top because those top two hormones, the cortisol and insulin, and I don't mean that like other hormones come from them. I just mean that they have an impact on our hormones in a downstream effect. Then, so we have to always go back to those. And so traditionally speaking, a hormonal imbalance, you think of hot flashes or you think of heavy periods, or you think of, um, you know, missing periods or something like that, or PCOS or something. But really that's just sort of the downstream effect of, the higher up hormones that are imbalanced. And we don't notice those very much. Like when we think about cortisol and we think about a cortisol imbalance, Mm -hmm. what does that actually look like? A cortisol imbalance and cortisol for anyone who does not know is the main stress hormone. It's produced in the adrenal glands in response to something that is happening, that something that your brain perceives as being stressful or a stressful event. And then your brain talks to your adrenals and tells your adrenals to produce this stress hormone so that we can survive whatever stressful situation that we're trying to deal with. And so when we think about an imbalance in cortisol, um, it's, it's the things that all of us have just come to normalize in our society, right? It's the you know inability to fall asleep at easily at night, um, or you can't fall asleep and you're tossing and turning at two in the morning, or you can't get up properly in the morning and you feel groggy, even if you've had a good night of sleep or you thought you had a good night of sleep. Um, you know, that tired, but wired feeling at night and, you know, where you do feel tired, but you definitely don't want to go to sleep or you have that second wind at wind at night and you can't get up in the morning or you just feel exhausted in the morning or things like, you know, these morning, um, energy crashes like 10, 11 AM. And then again at three or four in the afternoon. So it is amazing how much all of those symptoms are completely normal in our society. And we just drink caffeine or we eat sugar or we take a sleeping pill or melatonin. (sighs) Um, You know, I know, right? It's crazy. And so this is what we do to help remediate cortisol imbalances. But when you start to have these symptoms, that is your first sign of a hormonal imbalance. So that's what you need to be paying attention. And then on the flip side, we have insulin, which is an equally powerful hormone. I mean, it's not going to necessarily directly get you out of a fight or flight kind of situation like cortisol is designed to do, but insulin fuels your, it's like, it's a hormone that basically takes sugar out of your blood and puts it into your cells to fuel you to run or fight. So it's, it works with cortisol and insulin's the same thing, right? As we know, modern life has caused, you know, so many insulin issues or issues related to insulin. We've got, um, 
we've got blood sugar problems and then we've got, you know, all the way from there to diabetes or, you know, metabolic syndrome and insulin is a key player in all of that. And so if we're eating food that does not agree with our metabolism, usually that's sugar, refined carbohydrates, lots of, you know, white things, <laughs> what ends up happening is we have an insulin dysregulation that eventually ensues because we are not eating the, eating foods that will support our metabolism. So what happens there? We have these, again, blood sugar spikes and crashes. Again, the energy crashes or the energy spikes. We're, we're energetic one minute, 30 minutes later, we feel terrible. Um, you know, and it's tied into what happens with cortisol. Like we have issues uh, falling and staying asleep. Um, you know, we have uh, mood problems as well. And then there's, you know, so all these problems are interrelated. And those are all signs, early warning signs from your body early warning signs of a hormonal imbalance. So that's really what we have to be looking at first and addressing. And, you know, and that's challenging in our current modern life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, I mean, it goes back to what I was saying of like, I was kind of isolating for many years, my endo kind of in my pelvic cavity and just thinking that everything else was separate. And it's only since I've been like, you know, doing lots of research and training in the past couple of years that I've realized like how heavily my cortisol is dysregulated. And I was putting it down to chronic fatigue. That was just part and parcel of having endometriosis. And I was like, why have, why has my pain gone away? I don't have like painful periods anymore, but the fatigue hasn't gone. And I kind of just made that assumption like, well, you know, I'm still living with a chronic disease. My body's still trying to fight off like and failing to fight off endometriosis. Like I know my immune system's not working properly. And in fact, it was kind of as simple as my cortisol being dysregulated. And there are things that I can do to manage that. And on top of that, I was hungry all the time. Mm -hmm. No matter how much I ate, I was hungry all the time. So clearly I had an insulin issue as well. Yes. And it's it's something that like I'm still kind of still working on um, because I'm kind of just like up and down with my stress levels. Um, but, you know, you you can be doing everything that you think is right to kind of clear out excess estrogen um, and you know, bring the kind of stereotypical sex hormones into balance. But if your cortisol is kind of out of whack or your insulin is um, dysregulated, then of course it's it's not going to matter how much you're, you're doing because it, they're still going to knock it off track. Yes, definitely. So that's the thing, you know, like I think that the when we're thinking about, <clears throat> you know, this again, the cortisol insulin imbalance, and if we're not addressing that, because I think that's the root of, you know, all of the other hormonal issues, if we're not paying attention to that, which most of us aren't, because again, like I said, <clears throat> so much of this is normal in our society, right? Like drinking a 16 ounce coffee in the morning mm -hmm. um, and just to get going. And so what the next step is, is our reproductive organs, right? So usually they're the first sign that we know to that we know is is potentially a problem, right? So they let us know that something is wrong. And our menstrual cycles are extremely sensitive to these imbalances in, in these other more powerful hormones. And so the idea here is that 
what you'll start to see is if cortisol is dysregulated for a long time and insulin and blood sugar are dysregulated for a long time, uh, event, over time, you start to notice that there are period-related problems. And so that's where, you know, I think we, we, we start to think, oh, okay, something's wrong. But something's been wrong likely for a while. Yeah. <laughs> that's the issue. And so we're now running into symptoms that, you know, we wouldn't necessarily equate to these higher up, uh, these subordinate hormones. And so we've got things like, um, you know, when cortisol is high for a long time, or you have an acutely stressful situation happen, you might have an anovulatory cycle, or you might have a row of anovulatory cycles, or ovulation happens later. And when I say anovulatory, I just mean that you haven't, you didn't ovulate that cycle, and you can still get a bleed. You can still, you know, have a quote unquote period, but you you just didn't ovulate, and so that puts you in a place of. A per, you know, that ends up putting you in a situation where you're in a progesterone deficiency and, over time and, and potentially an estrogen, you know, dominance state over your progesterone. And so what happens is, you know, over time, you might have, you might, some one person, depending on your genes, honestly, it's like you may develop a heavy period um, whereas, you know, that's coming very closely together, less than 24 days, every cycle. And then another person, if they have consistent anovulatory cycles, they may not get a period at all for months at a time. So it's really highly dependent on, you know, what our genetics are in all honesty, I think, is I think it just shows up differently for different people. So I, I want to kind of talk about estrogen dominance or estrogen excess estrogen in a moment but as we're kind of talking about the effects of blood sugar imbalance and cortisol dysregulation um and we, we've kind of gone on to that topic would you be able to go through the specific ways that blood sugar imbalance um and cortisol if if we can actually affects our hormones because i think when we put it in contact in context you know how like cortisol essentially stills um you know stills are uh i can never say it pregnant pregnenolone that's it you know from progesterone it's so much it makes so much more sense um understanding how it happens and i know that these these dysregulations can actually cause um an increase in estrogen in some people it might cause low estrogen um or it might mean that there's more like free estrogen roaming around our body so it can kind of get to endometriosis so I was just wondering if you would be able to take us through um those kind of specific like the the processes that happen there yeah I think I should say that the whole like the the idea around cortisol you know quote-unquote stealing pregnenolone and and progesterone, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And, you know, there's newer evidence out now showing that, um, that cortisol, you know, while it does have an impact on these hormones, there's no doubt it doesn't, it doesn't technically steal it because they're in different parts. They're made in different parts of our adrenal glands. So apparently it's not possible. So that's, you know, so that's really interesting. And I think that, you know, so it's important for us to, I think, understand, you know, that it's a much more complicated process than we might've been led to believe (laughs) beforehand. But yes, like I, you know, we've seen this firsthand, right? How, how excess stress and, and, 
and con- and chronic, you know, cortisol dysregulation really has an impact on our menstrual cycles. And in fact, I'm actually just doing a, a series on Instagram about this right now. And so when we're, it's so fascinating actually, because when we think about cortisol and stress in particular, <clears throat> um, a lot of us, I think a lot of us don't even believe, right, that it's possible <laughs> yeah, for, I think for so. cortisol to have this effect on our bodies, like our stress response to even have this effect on our menstrual cycle. And so I think that the first thing I want to say is that when it comes to cortisol dysregulation, that it, there's a, an old term called um, called adrenal fatigue. And so adrenal fatigue is a little bit of a misnomer because our adrenals technically don't become fatigued. <clears throat> and the newer term for that is HPA axis dysfunction. And so that's not as sexy sounding as adrenal fatigue. But the idea here is that for anyone who doesn't know is that your adrenals over time become totally dysfunctional because of the fact that you either live in a state of chronic stress and whether that's external emotional stressors or it's internal, meaning that maybe there is some kind of gut health situation, you have an autoimmune disease, you have food allergies, all of these are internal stressors. So regardless of where it's coming from, it can cause this HPA axis dysfunction over time. And so what's fascinating to me about HPA axis dysfunction and our hormones, particularly our menstrual cycle, is that um, there are a few things. The first is that when we're in a stressful situation, our body will divert energy from other bodily systems in order to give us the fuel that we need to overcome whatever it is that we're trying to deal with, right? Because remember, your body still technically lives you know, 200,000 years ago when um, you actually had real threats to your life. Most of us do not have real threats to our life on this planet right now who are listening to this podcast. Some of us do, but not all, not most of us. And so when we don't have this, you know, when we are not trying to actually run away from something, um, you know, all of these, all of these, uh, all this energy is diverted away, right, from our menstrual cycle. So then what happens is, our menstrual cycle goes a little haywire. And so when we're talking about the hypothalamus, which is in the brain, that's the that's the gland that's going to send hormones to the pituitary. And that tells the pituitary to then send hormones to your ovaries, for instance. We use the ovaries for this example because we're talking about the menstrual cycle. And so what's fascinating about this is that cortisol actually has a dampening in effect, meaning that it sh- sort of shuts down production of something called GnRH. And so GnRH comes from your your hypothalamus and that's the hormone that tells your pituitary to talk to your ovaries. So on a brain level, we're basically shutting down the hormone that's going to trigger all of our menstrual cycle related activity throughout the month. And so we have this situation where if we if cortisol is pushing down GnRH production, GnRH then is lower, and that will potentially mean lower FSH and LH. And those are the two hormones that that stimulate your ovaries to start getting a follicle ready that will then ovulate. So all of those two hormones, if we don't have those in sufficient amounts or the right amounts, then the ovary doesn't respond the way it's supposed to. So it's almost like a, it's almost like cortisol's first line of defense, telling your body not to ovulate because it might not be safe to do so. So I find this fascinating. And then I think then the second thing is that 
cortisol also has an effect on the pituitary as well. So it's like the secondary effect where it'll tell the pituitary to lower production of FSH and LH. So it starts at the top and then it, there's a pituitary level. And then on a third level, it actually has an effect on our ovaries as well. So cortisol seems to have an, an the effect it has on our ovaries is that it will potentially um, make the ovaries resistant to FSH and LH. I mean, temporarily, but what happens is your ovaries then just don't respond. So it's almost like a triple threat. <laughs> so cortisol takes every effort, makes every effort it can to make sure that you're either not ovulating or not getting pregnant during a cycle when your body is in such a state of stress. Um, so, you know, to me, that's a really big deal. And so when we're talking about what you said too, about, you know, the cortisol trickle down effect on these hormones, yes, there's, there's definitely a degree of that, that I see from someone who is, you know, who's in a state of chronic stress and, you know, we, most of us don't even realize we are and, uh, and our, the dampening effect on progesterone. I mean, I, some, I decided to test my progesterone, uh, after the book writing process, I was like, let me just see what's going on. <laughs> and I was amazed that it was at a 24 after about five to seven days after ovulation, which is a good number. So thankfully my progesterone pulled through oh, and, you know, and I continued to ovulate, but again, like it really takes, you know, it takes a good amount of effort in order to get to the point where your, you know, your body is able to consistently ovulate if you've had problems with that and you've had a lot of external stress or you've had like food related problems, things like that. So it's just something to keep in mind that our bodies are actually really working for us in this situation, although it might feel that they're working against us. But these are incredible, um, very intricately orchestrated systems that have been around forever and ever to protect us. And unfortunately, due to life as we know it now, we, we start to see these symptoms show up and we think that our bodies are working against us, which is not true. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. BU create gorgeous, natural and organic CBD products that I love. To get the most out of your CBD, BU recommends that you use the products as per instructions on a daily basis for your entire cycle. The effects of CBD are much more obvious when used consistently as the CBD really gets to work on your inflammation levels. It's also recommended that you give CBD around two to three months to see how your body responds to it and whether it works for you. CBD doesn't work for everyone, but it definitely seems to be something that's popular within the endo community and kind of painful period community at the moment. Lots of people are finding relief. I would love to hear how you get on with it. If you do try any of the products, let me know. To shop the range, just head to the link in my show notes and start soothing period cramps the natural way. This episode is also sponsored by my free endometriosis symptom tracker. If you kind of feel a bit overwhelmed by your pain and your symptoms and you really just don't know where to start with managing them, then tracking your symptoms over a couple of months or even just a month to see what your triggers might be could be really helpful. I've put together a free download that helps you track your pain, your mood, your brain fog, uh, your bloating, where you are in your cycle, your eating habits, your stress levels, so many different things um, in a really simple and effective way. If you'd like to try it out, um, 
Obviously, it's free. Just head to the show notes, follow the link, and you can get your own copy. So in terms of blood sugar, we kind of touched upon it um, briefly in my interview with Megan. But specifically, if you're living with endometriosis, the likeness is that you've got an excess of estrogen, um, you might be having trouble detoxifying estrogen. How can how does blood sugar have an effect on our kind of ratios um, of estrogen to progesterone and you know, any excessive amounts of estrogen. Yeah, this is so great. I think that I, I want to preface this all by saying that, I mean, before I went into health coaching, I had no idea how the mismanagement of my own blood sugar was so stressful on my body. I mean, that's another stressor that we're so many of us are just not aware of. And again, it's no through no fault of our own. It's just that nobody really ever taught us. And I, for me, I would, you know, eat a giant piece of cake or whatever, skip a meal. And, you know, I never really thought it was a big deal. And then as I started to understand biology a little bit better, I realized just how detrimental doing that every single day of your life for years on end can be to your endocrine, your entire endocrine system, and then ultimately your menstrual cycle. So, you know, there are a number of conditions that are, uh, that are, connected to blood sugar dysregulation and insulin resistance, things like polycystic ovary syndrome, uh, dementia, which, you know, Alzheimer's develops at double the rate of men than in women and, or sorry, double the rate in women than men. Wow. And that, you know, has a lot to do with our hormones, interestingly. And, you know, so many other things that we have like sleep problems and anxiety and, you know, even cancer. I mean, it's been linked to a number of cancers and then PMS and PMDD. I mean, when I think about how, you know, getting blood sugar under control for so many of my clients over the years has been so, has been really, really dramatic in addressing those symptoms, those PMS and the PMDD symptoms that a lot of us are dealing with. And so I think that it's often overlooked, but it shouldn't be at all. I wish women cared as much about their blood sugar as they do about the latest fashion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really necessary. Um, so with that said, with regard to blood sugar and insulin in our menstrual cycle, uh, you know, our ovaries are what is affected, right? So for everyone who doesn't know, your ovaries actually have a pretty interesting relationship with blood sugar and insulin in that um, our ovaries have hormone receptors on them. They have insulin receptors on them, not hormone. They have lots of hormone receptors, obviously, <laughs> but they have insulin receptors in particular. And that is very interesting because it means that if you have an excess of insulin, it could disrupt the way your ovaries work. And so that's the case with many women who have um, polycystic ovary syndrome. We'll get into endometriosis because I haven't been able to find any research on how excess insulin, you know, or excess blood sugar causes endometriosis directly, but clearly there's a correlation there. And, you know, when we're talking about the insulin on the ovaries, what can happen here in, in people who have, you know, either have a predisposition, a genetic one to PCOS, they may develop that condition because your ovaries start to, if there's too much insulin, your ovaries start to produce more testosterone and less of the estrogen and the progesterone that they need to be making in order for you to have a normal, regular menstrual cycle. So that's a huge issue. When it comes to 
endometriosis, when I think of blood sugar, I think of inflammation and endometriosis is 100% an inflammatory condition. And so when we have, you know, this, this chronically elevated blood sugar, um, you know, that, that triggers a whole host of inflammatory responses in our bodies. And I just think, you know, I think of these genetic weak links, right? I think of women who develop thyroid disease, uh, when they, you know, when something's going on, whether it's nutrient deficiencies or they have Hashimoto's or something like that, not all of us are going to develop Hashimoto's because our thyroid is not our genetic weak link. Some of us, for some of us, our genetic weak link is our gut and we may develop celiac disease or, you know, non-celiac, um, gluten intolerance. Yeah. Something like that. And then or we may have, we may develop type one diabetes because our pancreas is our genetic weak link. So we all have something. Some of us have multiple things, unfortunately. I mean, it's just sort of the luck of the draw, unfortunately. And, but our genes are not our destiny. We can change a lot with our food and our lifestyle. So there's that part too. But to come back to it, when we think about endometriosis, I kind of consider that to be, you know, there's a genetic thing going on for sure. There's no doubt. Um, and, you know, there's, uh, you know, emerging research that shows that. And so I think with something like endometriosis, you know, that's, you know, what some of us are prone to, not all of us, of course. And so when we think about blood sugar dysregulation and this ensuing inflammatory cascade, there's, you know, there's usually, there's a huge gut component to this. And so when we have, when we have blood sugar imbalances, and we have this inflammation, and then we have, you know, the, the gut, your gut is inflamed because again, um, when you're eating food that doesn't work for your body on a continuous basis, it completely throws off your gut. Not only does it change your gut flora, which as we know is connected to what's happening with our endometriosis, it also causes a leaky gut situation. And so for everyone who doesn't know, leaky gut is basically increased gut permeability. And I say increased because your gut is meant to be a little leaky because it's meant to allow nutrients to pass through. Mm -hmm. Because think of your think of your entire digested tract as a tube within a tube. Because really anything that goes into your mouth and then comes out in your bowel movements, that that entire digestive tract is not exposed to the rest of your body. So it's only external oh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, right. So like if you think of your gut as having or your your gut lining as becoming too leaky, then those things that are supposed to stay within that tube start to leak out. And your immune system, think of your immune system as like a line of little foot soldiers on right on the outside of that, just waiting for those whatever toxins or um undesirables to pass through that leaky gut lining. And then you have an immune response. And if we develop leaky gut as children, because we can, and then over, and it's never addressed over many years, you think about those little foot soldiers constantly attacking whatever is coming into your bloodstream. And you're starting to develop some kind of immune, you know, it's a, a consistent immune response and then potentially an autoimmune disease. And so that's really how it shows up. And I, I consider endometriosis to be um, you know, similar to how autoimmune diseases develop. We've, we've got, and it, because it gets progressively worse as our gut health gets progressively worse. But when we start to address this, these, this endotoxemia, as we, as we call it, because these are again, um, 
toxins leaking into your bloodstream and technically poisoning you over time. Um, endometriosis, like I said, is to me is worsened by this. And that's been shown in when we're looking at, you know, lipopolysaccharides or LPS. So those are a type of endotoxin and those are, um, those are related to endometriosis and leaky gut. So these LPS lipopolysaccharide toxins basically travel through the gut barrier and, um, you know, they can promote pelvic inflammation and potentially worsen endometriosis. So, so we really have to come back to addressing what's causing like the root, root cause of our inflammation. If we're going to address an inflammatory condition like endometriosis, or we're going to address our Hashimoto's or celiac disease or whatever, like any, our joint pain from rheumatoid arthritis, any kind of autoimmune condition or even symptom that we have, that's really what we have to look back to. And so blood sugar, I have found, is one of the key things to control. And, you know, in terms of how it relates to estrogen, you know, that's like a whole other thing, right? Like when we're talking about our blood sugar and our, our menstrual cycle, um, you know, there's a few things that happen. And, you know, when we have uh, ex this excess estrogen, that can, excess estrogen can happen from blood sugar imbalance. And a lot of people are just like, how is that even possible? <laughs> and it's that really it comes back to the fact that we have, you know, we have this very powerful insulin hormone that dictates so much of what happens with our menstrual cycle. So when you think about insulin and its impact on um, estrogen and testosterone, what we're really looking at is uh, it's, you know, it's like a, it's hard to describe, but basically think of insulin resistance when we have, you know, we have blood sugar problems over a long period of time and we have, we eventually develop insulin resistance. What happens is it raises the activity of an enzyme called aromatase. And so this enzyme is responsible for converting testosterone into estradiol. So what might happen for some of us is that uh, high levels of insulin can raise estrogen, right? Because this conversion increases and, and causes this estrogen dominant situation. Unfortunately, for those of us who are overweight, aromatase actually lives in our fat cells. So the more body fat we have, the more estrogen we'll have too. And, you know, this is why uh, when we get our blood sugar under control, we start to address that conversion that's happening. Uh, that overconversion that's happening. And also when women lose weight, they'll find that, you know, if they're overweight, they'll find that their estrogen levels start to regulate. So that's, you know, that's a big issue, right? Because this excess estrogen in the body is, you know, is really problematic for conditions like endometriosis or fibroids or adenomyosis, because these are conditions that are not necessarily caused, but they are just they're um, exacerbated by by a higher level of estrogen circulating in our bodies. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm really glad that you said that because I I wanted to understand like when testosterone is increased, whether it's that's then converted into estrogen because there's more aromatase um, going on as a result of the insulin. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, yes. 
And what about, I don't, I've not seen this. I've only seen this once. Um, I can't remember which book I read it in. But could, obviously you've got the, um, the insulin is working really hard to get all of the glucose to the cells because there's too too much of it. Um, and that can obviously lead to weight gain, um, which can then lead to more estrogen. But it can also lead to kind of fat being stored in the liver, from what I understand. And I've I read somewhere that that can impair the liver's ability to detoxify estrogen. Do you know if that's a correct theory? Yeah, no, I would say I would say for sure. I think that it's probably you know a combination of things. But yes, fatty liver disease is one of the it's become one of the most prevalent conditions worldwide now. Mm. Not surprising because we eat way too much sugar and way too many refined carbohydrates. And we just don't have, we're not taking in the right nutrients to support our livers and what they're doing, which is pretty vital to our overall health. And so, yes, like I, you know, I've found that when when your diet is not where you need it to be and there's fatty liver or, um, yeah, fatty liver disease or, um, your liver is just being, you know, it's really overburdened by your diet. And again, lifestyle as well. Stress is also a problem for it too. It, you know, it doesn't work as well. And so when we think about the next step for estrogen, once it's been used by the body, it's that, it needs to go into the liver to be processed. And then from the liver, it needs to go into the gut for further processing. And then it's removed once we go to the bathroom. And that's the really the way estrogen should work. It shouldn't be recirculated. But what is happening in a lot of my clients and a lot of women that I see is that because their livers are, you know, perpetually overburdened, um, it's almost like estrogen detoxification takes a bit of a backseat. And so estrogen detox has to go to go through two phases. It has to go through a phase one in live in the liver and, and then a phase two. And so the phase one is just breaking it down into these intermediate metabolites. And if we don't, first of all, if we don't have the nutrients that we're supposed to have in our diet to support that pathway, uh, B vitamins are one of them, for instance, then we end up in a situation where those toxins are not processed in the way they're supposed to be. And so in many cases, they can be leached out of the liver back into the bloodstream, which is a huge problem. And because if you think about it, if the liver is just constantly putting out fires all day, right? Like if there are, if we're exposed to a lot, then it's going to prioritize the most pressing concerns, which makes sense. And your estrogen metabolism is not high on that list. Uh, And then with that second phase, those intermediates go into phase two and um, they're made water soluble and then they go through the bile or they're taken with the bile transports them into the gut where uh, they're supposed to be broken down further um, and then eliminated. And so if our liver is compromised, then that whole process is compromised. And in some cases, even after phase two, estrogen still is recirculated back into the body. And then on the third phase, which is what happens in the gut, um, if we have gut bacteria, a gut bacteria imbalance, particularly the gut 
bacteria known as the estrobilome. And so that's a group of bacteria that is known for processing our estrogen um, and further breaking it down. If there is an imbalance with the estrobilome, what might happen is we may have some of that estrogen that's been broken down from the liver and sent to the gut is reactivated and it can be leached back through the gut lining into your bloodstream and estrogen will then recirculate and do all its things and and you'll start to develop these symptoms of estrogen dominance and so i've seen this on you know in myself and in others as well that you know if you have like a particularly challenging few months where you don't eat well and your stress is out of control and your life is just out of control generally speaking or maybe you've eaten something that you know is causing your estrogen to go up, meaning like it's an estrogenic type food. A lot of people notice this with soy, if they eat too much soy or something, they'll, you know, they'll notice um, heightened symptoms in their next menstrual cycle. So it's really important for us to pay attention to these kinds of symptoms and see, you know, if that could be related to what's been going on for the last month or the last few months. That's so helpful. Thank you so much. So as we're you know, we're talking about um, estrogen like rising. What What's the difference between excess estrogen and estrogen dominance? I'm like swapping between American and British pronunciations right now of yeah. estrogen. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah, like, because I think there's, there's kind of confusion around the difference between the two. And um, what, what are the symptoms? Yeah, I think this is a really good question. And I think there's just a lot of confusion. I used to call estrogen dominance, estrogen lopsidedness, <laughs> because it was sort of because really, what it ultimately is, is a, it's an imbalance between estrogen and progesterone, where estrogen is too high in relation to progesterone, where the ratio of these two hormones is out of balance. So you can look at it in any way. I mean, I think estrogen dominance, estrogen excess, ex excess estrogen, all of these terms really are used interchangeably. And that's really what it comes down to. And the only way to really know that you're quote unquote estrogen dominant is to is to do some hormone testing and figure it out. And that to me will tell you what's going on. And I don't mean just like regular hormone testing. I really believe that, and again, we can't all do this. So I, I say this, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but you can also look at your symptoms too. But to know for sure, one way to do that is like a dried urine test, like the Dutch test, where you would see very clearly how your estrogen is breaking down, right? So there are a few, like I said, there are a few different levels of breakdown, right? We've got the liver, those two phases, and then we have phase three in the gut. And so when you think about, and we have genetic things too, by the way. So when you think about uh, the three main types of estrogen, we have estradiol, estrone, and estriol, they break down in the liver to different metabolites. And so on that test, you can see very clearly whether you, first of all, on one level, whether you have high estrogens, estradiol, estrone, or estriol, if those are high, that's first level estrogen dominance. And then if you're those next level, second level intermediate um, metabolites are high too, or one of them is high, then that's also uh, like, that's the next level of estrogen dominance, so to speak. And so you'd have to really, again, pay attention to what's happening with your liver. And then you could do gut testing as well to kind of figure out what's going on with your gut. But that's, you know, I feel like that's complicated and should just be done. It should, well, all of this should be done with a practitioner. But coming back to 
you know, what this, this estrogen dominance is and like what the symptoms are. What I continue to see is um, heavy periods. So classic, I find classic estrogen dominance is where estrogen is actually high, um, not just high in comparison to progesterone, right? So okay. it's, it's definitely elevated. Like on your test results, you'll see your estrogen is high and your progesterone is either normal or it's just lower than the normal range. Right. And so when your estrogen is high like that, I find that I see women with heavy periods, um, period pain, but that's usually a sign of the inflammation that's causing the estrogen problems in the first place. And, um, shorter cycles. So usually 24 days or less. And in many cases, anovulatory cycles. So meaning, like I said before, you don't ovulate in the cycle, but you're, but you get a period and it, it's heavy and long. And you, so it's usually like eight days or longer and you're changing pads or tampons, you know, or period underwear every one to two hours or even sooner than that. Or you're changing a menstrual cup like every few hours as well. And that goes on for, you know, at least a couple of days in your period. Um, so that's, you know, those are signs as well that there's something going on there. And when I say heavy periods, I'm talking about not only changing your pads and tampons that often, but also do you have to change throughout the night? Are you leaking through your clothes? Could you have to stay near a bathroom? All of these are, are good things to look out for. Um, in terms of the emotional side of things, I find that when our progesterone is on the lower side uh, and estrogen is, you know, higher, too high, we'll experience PMS related symptoms, a lot of the emotional symptoms. Yeah. So, I mean, like you're ready to kill someone, huge <laughs> meltdowns, um, anxiety, you know, your partner doesn't know whether happy you or angry you is going to walk in the door. Um, you know, like things like that, you lose your patience really quickly and, you know, or you go into this semi mini depression, you know, the last cycle set last part of your cycle every month. Um, so these are really, I think, important symptoms to look out for with regard to this, you know, estrogen excess, estrogen dominance type situation. I think I should say one more thing too. I feel like you can be estrogen dominant as well when estrogen is low and progesterone is low. Yeah. It's all about that ratio. It's all about what they are, you know, how, what their levels are in relation to each other. So I think it's important for us to remember that as well. And you may not have those classic symptoms I just described, but you may have the emotional symptoms or you, you may have a situation where, um, you know, like you have the anxiety and you have the PMS symptoms, you feel depression, your mood is just, you feel sucky, you know, your mood just doesn't feel great. You don't have a lot of energy. Uh, so those are signs I find as well too, in, you know, for, for women who have like a sort of non-classic estrogen dominant situation. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's so important to talk about this because so much of, so many of the symptoms of estrogen dominance or excess estrogen are the same as endometriosis. So yes. people will just assume that it's all part of endometriosis. And I think actually in the future, we're going to discover that it's, it, that the, the two conditions are overlapping and mm -hmm. you know, it's what we've cl classified as solely endometriosis is also actually the estrogen their excess estrogen issues, um, their heavy periods. And I, I don't know about you guys, but over here, um, 
I think the NHS are separating heavy periods away from endometriosis and saying that, you know, because loads of people with endo have heavy periods. Um, yeah. And they assume that that's part of the symptoms, but they're, they're changing that and saying, no, it, it's, that's not. Um, at least they're changing it over here. Um, so, so interesting. and they're just classifying it as, um, heavy menstrual period, heavy menstrual bleeding. That's, they're just classifying it as like this other condition, but then what's causing that? The estrogen. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. So, what's causing estrogen problems, the yeah. inflammation, yeah, I agree. It's so interesting. It's really frustrating because again, like that's modern medicine's way of siloing off women's bodies. And it's so frustrating because that's, I mean, that is, I feel like in everyone who I know who's had endometriosis, that's one of the main problems. I mean, that's one of the main signs for them. It is. I'm, I'm not fully, I guess, I guess the theory is from what I've heard is that because the and the endometrial cells are kind of growing outside of the womb, that having endo shouldn't directly affect like how much you're bleeding like from your uterus. But I yeah, I mean you'd have to have a look at um Endometriosis UK and the NHS yeah. for more information. I don't know if they've changed it yet. I know they're in the process of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it is it's it's frustrating because it becomes like another condition that we're we're saying okay so you've got you've got endometriosis and then you've got heavy menstrual bleeding but then no one there's nothing there's you know there's no um let's let's look into why that is the case it's just like okay so to control the heavy menstrual bleeding take this and to control the endometriosis take that and and that's that's it um so I'm really glad that you kind of mentioned all of those symptoms because they're so similar to endometriosis. Yeah. I mean, but I feel like in many cases, you know, what I see, I, I would, I'm not in every case, of course, because, you know, my estrogen levels, as I've gotten older, my estrogen levels have dropped. And every time I find that they rise, usually when I'm really stressed out, uh, I do, I feel like <clears throat> I have period pain, like I have more period pain. So there's clearly a correlation between the two, but, and usually it's, like I said, it's that, you know, we're, we're doing something that's not working for our bodies. And so our bodies are responding by becoming more inflamed. And so that's really what I think it comes down to. And so, you know, like we were saying, you really have to look at your body as a whole, right? Like you can't just look at, you know, heavy periods as one thing. And, and in some cases that's the case, right? Like not all not all women who have heavy periods have endometriosis. So, and not all women who have endometriosis have heavy periods, but I think that it's certainly something to consider to take into account as a potential symptom. I mean, I would say that like probably 60 or 70% of the women I've worked with who have endo have significantly heavy periods. Yeah, no, I, I, most of the people that I know have heavy periods. I don't, I've never had heavy periods in my life. Um, but I, I don't know one person with endo who who doesn't other than myself. Um, so in your book with Megan, um, The Happy Balance, you talk about, um, obviously it's it's a cookbook um, and it, so much of it is about how we eat to help balance our hormones. But 
What other areas are important to focus on when we're trying to bring our hormones back into balance, especially, you know, with estrogen? Because we've talked about how important cortisol and insulin are. What are some of the kind of foundations we can be doing? Yeah, I think this is really good because it's going to look a little bit different for everyone, right? As you and I just talked about, we had to change our entire lives. <laughs> we actually had to change careers. Yeah. In fact, I I had to move from the place I was living in because I it was it was not good for my mental state. So, so I literally I, moved know, from London to Margate. Oh, did you? It hasn't actually oh, wow. necessarily improved situations. Um, Margate comes with its challenges, but um, I feel like there's a lot of correlation between our stories. <laughs> yes, there really is. I did the opposite. I moved from Orlando to New York City. Probably, you know. Oh the, wow. <laughs> That's exactly what I need to do. So probably not what I would recommend for most people who are very stressed. Although I knew that I needed to live here and it was, over, it was 10 years ago. So yes, it has been the most amazing experience. But as I've gotten older, I continue to think that I need to probably take a little bit of a break from the city and, you know, check my nervous system because it's, you know, it's very intense. So, you know, short of moving to another city <laughs> like us, Um, you know, I would say the first thing is to check in with yourself. I mean, really, we, I have just found over and over again that because we are not taught to do this, right. From the time we're children, we're taken to the doctor. The doctor tells us what's wrong. The doctor gives us medicine or a shot or whatever it is to fix or address the problem. And then we go on our way and we're never really taught to check in to, tune into our body's rhythm, the internal rhythm, the internal wisdom of our bodies to really understand, you know, what it is that our body is saying to us. And so, you know, I, I love this idea of body literacy and, you know, I've sort of taken it a little step further and I call it period literacy. And it's this, it's this idea, right. That you're really, you're so tuned into what is going on with your period that you know exactly what's normal for you on a cycle by cycle basis versus what isn't. And, and that way you can use that as a gauge for what needs to change. Because if we have, you know, if you're, if you're checking in with your cycle, right, you're tracking your cycle, which is what I I recommend everyone do. I really want everyone to do that as a start. I did a talk the other day and I asked everyone to raise their hands who was tracking their cycle with a, a cycle tracking app. And Um, very few women were, I was so shocked, but again, this is New York, (laughs) so we don't have time for that stuff. Uh, so, you know, I, I really do recommend that. I think that as a start, everyone should be doing that. You get an app and, and, and just on a basic level, you're start, you're tracking the first day of your period, how heavy it is. Um, and you're, you're going to track like how many pads and tampons you're using or period underwear, or how many times you change your menstrual cup or whatever it is that you're using for period protection. So you really want to be tuned into that as well. You want to track how long you bleed for, whether there's spotting before your period, however many days that is, and whether there's spotting or bleeding just sort of tapers off over many days after your period, the kind of the level of pain, or if you feel pain, you really want to track that as well. And you want to track your symptoms, like your emotional symptoms. What, I mean, are you ready to kill someone at the day before your period or a number of days before your period? Do you have crazy migraines? When do you get those? Track those as well. And when you can start to map out 
your menstrual cycle, which is basically what I consider this to be, you can really get a clear picture of what's happening. And you can use that as a gauge, like I said, for future cycles. And you'll use that to determine whether something that you did throughout the previous month or a few months has impacted the menstrual cycle you're currently in. And I like when you start to understand this, I mean, no one can take that away from you. That data is so invaluable and it's going to help you not only make decisions about your, you know, how you're going to live your life, it's going to completely change the way that you receive medical care because you're going to be able to go into your doctor's office armed with this information about your cycle. I mean, every time I go to my doctor, they're just like, wait, who are you? Like, how do you know these things? And, you know, so I like, you whole conversation. And, you know, I was definitely, I was that girl who would go to the doctor 20 years ago and make up the date of my last period because I had no idea when the hell my last period was. I mean, so I've come a really long way and I trust that everyone else can do the same. But when you have that info, you're not at the, at the whim of what your doctor or medical practitioner or healthcare provider tells you, you need to do with your body. If your gut is telling you that what they've advised you to do or what they're suggesting doesn't feel right, go with that. And so that's really what I ask women to do just as a start. I mean, you can change all the things as well, right? Like you, I, I'm a health coach. Like I, we talk about diet, we talk about looking at your stress, but it's really difficult to start to do all of that when you don't have a roadmap. And I think your menstrual cycle is your roadmap. Yeah, absolutely. And if people are interested in kind of going that bit further, you've got some brilliant courses on your website. I I did the fix your blood sugar protocol. Um, So can people go and find out more there? Yes, absolutely. Yes, of course. Thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, it's nicolejardim.com forward slash programs. And all of my programs are on there. I have a bigger program called Fix Your Period. And that is, you know, a multifaceted program where I walk through a lot of what I've talked about today. I talk about food, blood sugar, looking at your cortisol, supporting your liver detoxification, all of those aspects of our our health and our endocrine system that we really need to get a handle on in order to fix our menstrual cycle related problems. And again, when I say fix, I understand that a condition like endometriosis is not necessarily fixable. It depends on you know how long you've had it for and, and multiple factors like we talked about. But I think that it's important for us to know that there is hope and there is healing to be had. And that, you know, you don't have to be at the mercy of, um, you know, surgeries and, uh, you know, the pill (laughs) for the rest of your life. I just, I think maybe in some cases that might be necessary. And, you know, and I understand that, of course, but I think that we have so much more control over our hormones and hormonal imbalances than we've ever really been taught. Yeah, so true. And um, obviously, we'll be wrapping up soon. But I wanted to ask you about your book, if you can share it, you've got you've got the one out with um, Megan, the happy balance, but you've got your own coming out shortly. I do. I do. Thank you. Yes, it's called fix your period. I'm staying on brand. (laughs) And it is, it's really, you know, what I've taken, I've taken from all of my programs and, and put into a book, it's a six week protocol to really help 
anyone who has a period really, uh, address their, you know, this, these issues that we were just talking about, like I said, address your blood sugar imbalances, nutrient deficiencies, and really understand what is happening with your period. Like I said before, through tracking your cycle and, and tuning into what all of your hormones are actually doing. So we, we walk through, uh, like I said, a six week protocol where you're looking at your gut health, your stress, your nutrients, um, your liver detoxification, your thyroid health, which we didn't really talk too much about. Thyroid is is a huge part of all of this too. I would love uh, to talk about thyroid at some I know. point. Oh my God, I know we could totally do a whole other episode. Yeah, it's such a big area. It's huge, exactly. And yeah, and so that's what it, it's all about. And I'm so excited. I feel like it's going to help so many more women than I've been able to help so far. I can't wait to read it. Do you do you know what month that will be out? Is it next year? Yes. Yes, it's April 28th in the US and then it's actually in October in the UK. So I have to come to the UK. Oh, <laughs> so excited. Yeah, that would be yeah. so exciting. Um and you can I'm assuming that we can just buy that on Amazon and kind of anywhere good books are sold. Exactly. It's actually already on pre-sale on Amazon. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, yes, I'm, I'm you'll getting find it on Amazon. It's there. It's unbelievable. I can't even get over that. But yes, it's on Amazon already, and it will be in all bookstores come April 28th in the US, and then October. I'm not sure of the exact date in October in the UK, but October in the UK for sure. Okay, that's super exciting. And yes. the, the Happy Balance. Um, I've said it before in previous episodes, but people can get that on Amazon, and the same in all good bookshops. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Thank you so much for coming on. This has just been so fascinating and I've had to like bite my tongue from asking you a million other questions. Um, and yeah, the, I would definitely love to talk about thyroid in the future um, if, yeah, if you have time at any point because I think that's also an area that uh, endo affects like so many different parts of your body and your life that it's really easy to assume that endo is it that oh it's everything's endo and then actually we might have like hypothyroidism like creeping in and you know there's just so many different things happening so I would love to talk about that in the future thank you so much I would love to jump on here again and talk about the thyroid and how it impacts our menstrual cycles and I completely agree with you that this is a system-wide approach right and it can feel so overwhelming sometimes and I you know I always encourage women to just start with the basics like even if it's just tracking your symptoms to try and see when they're showing up in your cycle it's it can be tremendously helpful and then from there working on, you know, bringing more nutrients into your diet. It just, I feel like there are, you know, there are multiple ways to approach this and, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be as complicated and scary as you might have been told it is. Absolutely. Nicole, thank you so much for coming on. It's been such an honor to have you on. Um, yeah, you are a dream guest and I'm Aww. sure that this podcast, this episode is going to help so many people. So thank you very much. Thank you, Jessica. I really hope so too. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website which is www.thisendolife.com 
and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis this episode was produced by the pod farm whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world